Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, a place dedicated to the discussion of Christian faith in 21st century life. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So join us as we endeavor to understand 21st century life through the lens of Christian faith. I'm your host, Alan Bevere, pastor, professor, author, and lover of Five Alarm Food. Come and seek with me. Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel. Jesus told parables, and we often use parable uh, as a word, as synonym for a story. And while the parables are stories, parable actually means comparison. And in the parables, Jesus compares the kingdom of God to something. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It is like a mustard seed. Or this is what forgiveness looks like. A man had two sons. And so in this parable, which is probably the most uh, uh, beloved parable in the church, uh, Jesus uh, uh, talks to us about the relationship of our God, our Heavenly Father, to us in all of our ways. Let us hear these words from Luke. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them in this parable, Jesus told them this parable. A certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered together everything and took a trip to a faraway land. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. He longed to, fill, to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his, father said, then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fatted calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting. Because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, your brother has arrived and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in. But his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, look, 
I've served you all these years, and I never disobeyed your instruction. Yet you have given me as, but you have never given me as much as a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when, his, when this son of yours returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Then his father said, son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. Let us pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord our God, our wisdom, our salvation. Amen. Some of you know this, uh, most of you probably don't, but that on every Tuesday morning at 8.30 at downtown Tur, I and Pastor Lindsay and Pastor Tom and several other clergy in uh, town who follow the lectionary in our preaching. We all get together every, every Tuesday at 8.30 for about an hour, and we talk about the text for Sunday. We talk about what texts are, which literature are we leaning to, the gospel reading, the Old Testament reading, and then we start to talk about the text and we reflect and we, we bounce ideas off of each other. It's really the first step for, I think, probably all of us, because it's Tuesday, it's the first step for all of us in sermon preparation. And it's been a great time. I have to, we've been doing this since the fall, I think. And I have to tell you, it's one of the highlights of my week. Because, you know, when you talk Bible and theology and you drink coffee, I mean, it doesn't get better, right? And one of the things that was said by one of my colleagues this Tuesday when we were talking, she said, you know, the parable of the of, of the prodigal son is familiar, and I've preached on it I don't know how many times, and I sometimes wonder, what, what new can I find? What can I find in the text that's new to offer to the congregation? I thought that was an interesting comment, and I reflected on that. And I thought to myself after a time, why do I have to give you something new? First of all, this story is just so rich in meaning. There's all kinds of angles you could take on it. But isn't it great, isn't it necessary to be reminded of the basics of our faith? To remind, be reminded of what is at the core of what we believe about God and God's relationship to the world. So is there anything really that new that needs to be said this morning? Well, I think not. If you hear something new, that's fine. But I just kind of want to go over this great story again. I, I think, I don't know how many times I've preached on it over 38 years, but I'm guessing probably about a dozen. And I just think it's great to be reminded there's a reason why, for those of us who have spent any time in the church and raised in the church, we know this parable. And I dare say that if you surveyed most churches, most congregations, and what their favorite parable of Jesus is, I'll bet this one wins almost every time. We know the story. A father has two sons. They live on a farm. Farming is hard work. It's good work. It's hard work. 
And you can almost picture these two sons working out in the field, and you have the older son, who is, of course, the dutiful son, because usually the oldest sibling is, right? Not always true, but a lot of times. My, our oldest daughters complained that when our boys came along that they didn't have nearly as many rules as they did. To which I always respond, we were practicing with you. Now we have it down. And the younger son, you know, just think what happens when you get to a certain age. I can remember getting to a certain age, being young. First of all, I didn't think I was going to, I didn't think that I was going to be you know, I thought I was pretty old at 18, and so I needed to experience life, and you're impatient. You can imagine this younger son working in the field. Ugh, it's so boring around here. I mean, it's 30 miles to the nearest mall. And all we do is work all day, work all day, work all day. I mean... One day I'm going to be able to get away from here. I'll get my inheritance and I'll be able to go find myself and, and live in the city and, and just enjoy life. But that's not going to be till after my father is dead. And dad, you know, he's as healthy as a horse. He'll probably live forever. And I'm 18 already. Man, I got to get going. And so he does the unthinkable. He asks his father... For his portion of the inheritance before his father is dead. In a sense, he is saying to his father, Dad, I kind of wish you were dead. And any father in that culture would have been right and just at that point to have disowned him. And there is nobody around, neighbors or anyone else, who would have batted an eye. In fact, that would have been exactly what people thought the father would do. We're not told how the father responds. We're not told of conversation. Is he sad? Is he hurt? Is he angry? We're not told. But what we are told is he does what his younger son asks. And so he divides up the estate into thirds, right? Because in Jewish law, the oldest son, or older son in this case, gets the double portion. So you divide it up into thirds, the older son gets two-thirds, the younger son gets one-third, and he takes all that in hand, and off he goes to the bright lights in the big city. And he has a good time. In fact, Jesus tells us he squanders his wealth in extravagant living, as our translation, the King James says, I kind of like this, in riotous living, And I probably could guess that when he had all that money and all that stuff to spend celebrating, I'll bet he had lots of friends, right? But if at some point the wealth dries up, and worst of all timing, there's a famine in the land. In the... Another translation says it this way. He squandered his wealth in dissolute living, and then there was a famine in the land, and no one gave him a thing. 
squandered his wealth, famine, no one gave him anything. Somebody did a survey. This was another thing that came out of our conversation on Tuesday. Somebody did a survey a while ago, a while ago on this story. And they went, they did a survey here in America and asked for people who knew this parable, what happened to the son? What did, what, why did the son finally decide to go back home? In America, the overwhelming response was because he squandered his wealth. He blew all his money. They went to Ireland, asked the same question. The response, there was a famine. Because you see, if you don't have any money, at least, if, at least you can live off the land. But now there's a famine. They went to South Africa, asked the same question, and the response was, no one gave him anything. Interesting. All three are true, aren't they? But where do we put the focus? I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Store that. I'm going to come back to that. He gets so desperate. He gets to the place where, and you can almost hear this in the first century Jewish culture, he is so low that he has actually resorted to feeding pigs. You know, which in a Jewish culture, that's as low as you can sink. And he's so hungry, even the pig slop looks good. I have never been that hungry. But there are people in our world who probably are that hungry. Sadly. And one day in the midst of feeding the pigs and all that slop, our translation reads, he comes to his senses. That's not really how it should be translated literally. You know how it should be translated literally? When he, not to his senses, when he came to himself. When he came to himself, when he, real, when, he came, when he became who he was meant to be, when he, when he started to think the way he really was meant to be, the person he was meant to be, he realized that all that purpose and meaning in life and the joy of life and the celebration of life was not to be found out there somewhere, searching and seeking. It was to be found where he had always been, at home. So when he came to his senses, when he came to himself, he started the journey back. He's not going to be a son. He already, he burned that bridge as far as he's concerned. But he said, you know, my dad has hired hands and, you know, they, they, they work hard, but they eat pretty well. I could at least go back there and sign on. And so he goes back home. And we're told, one of the things Jesus does in a lot of the parables is he sort of takes cultural conventions and just turns them on their ear. When the father sees the son who is still far off, the father does something that no respecting elderly Jewish man would do in the first century. He runs out to meet him. This son, who has embarrassed his father, this is an honor and shame culture. He has shamed the family name. This father 
throws caution to the wind and runs out to meet his son and embraces him. Again, you could almost hear the neighbors once the word gets out that he's brought him back as his son saying, what, doesn't, doesn't that man have any pride? Doesn't he have any dignity? Look what his son did to him. And of course, he celebrates. He put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. He's, the, he's his son. He is his son. No matter what he has done, the son confesses he sinned against heaven and before him. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the father says, come home, son. And so they kill the fatted calf that you save for a special occasion, and off they go to celebrate and the older brother, I'm an older brother, I understand the complaint, right? The older brother is unhappy. I have worked for you, again, let me make my own translation here, I've been a slave to you. I've worked like a slave. And you never even gave me a goat, let alone a fatted calf, for me to have a party with my friends. But, again, notice the language, when this son of yours, he doesn't say brother of mine, when this son of yours, I'd get home late a couple times from being out all day, and if it had been a tough day with the kids, Carol would say to me, take care of your children. You know what that means, don't you? When this brother of yours, or this son of yours, returns, you pull out all the stops. You pretend like nothing's ever happened. I understand that. But there's something the son is forgetting. He says to his father, you've never given me anything. Wait a minute. Didn't the father give him two-thirds of the inheritance? <laughs> Didn't the father, in a sense, turn the entire left of the estate over to him? There's been a lot of talk in our culture over the last two, three, four years about the notion of privilege. Privilege is thinking you work like a slave when you own what you're working on. All he can think about is what his brother had done. And the father presses the point. He says, look, everything I have is yours. That doesn't change. The younger son's not going to now get some more of the inheritance. He spent it. But he says this, notice the language, this, son of, this brother of yours, he reinforces the point, this brother of yours was dead and now He's been found. Unfortunately, if we're not careful, I think sometimes we can become the older brother. I don't know about you, but when I've messed up, I, I want to be the younger son. I want grace, <laughs> right? When we need the grace, we want to be the younger son. But when someone else we know who's really messed things up needs grace, if we're not careful, 
we become the older brother. Because we think that, well, they really haven't paid their dues. They really haven't suffered the consequences of their action. So what we say is, until that happens, we can't give them grace. But then it's not grace, is it? That's merit. Grace is what we get just because, whether we deserve it or not. And this is the story. God's extravagant grace is lavished upon all of us. Yes, it matters what we do. Yes, it matters how we live. Yes, sin can have serious consequences. But the point is, all everything in which God relates to us is from the context of his great love for us. And if we're not careful as the church, we can, without thinking, fall into that default, as Pastor Tom says, we can become the church of the older brother. We don't want to be that. We don't want to be that. God is a God of extravagant grace. I think I've said before in the parable, said before in other places and other venues in the parable of the sower you know when the sower throws all that seed all over all that soil the good soil the bad soil says that a farmer goes out to sow his seed and throws it everywhere even on the bad rocky soil and other soils well that's not what farmers do farmers don't sow seed that way certainly not in the first century I mean it's not like here where if my seeds don't come up I can go to a greenhouse and get more that's not what farmers do, but Jesus tells the parable to say, but this is how God acts because God throws God's grace everywhere in the hopes of reaching everybody. And so we talk about being God's grace being extravagant. I like the word wasteful. <laughs> God wastes his grace because because somewhere, somewhere, in a corner somewhere, maybe something of a seed of God's love will break into a hardened heart and germinate. Because God loves that person. So God just throws everything to the wind. One more thing and then I'm done. Every one of us here who's a parent who has grown, has all of our children grown and out of the house, you, you know what I'm going to say. Well, you know what, I'm, I can relate to what I'm going to say. Our kids left the house, became empty nesters. We missed our kids. We also enjoyed being empty nesters. But you know when you have a family gathering, when you have a time when all the children and now grandchildren are with you, you know, whether it's a holiday, Christmas, Thanksgiving, um, whatever day it is, when you've got everyone with you at your house, you say to yourself, this just feels right. You, you relate? This just kind of feels the way it ought to be. We're all together. And I know that at times we've had a family gathering, and maybe a son, one of our sons can't make it. He's got to work, so he just can't get away. And we get together and we have fun and we have a good time and we enjoy it, but he's, one person is not here and so it isn't quite the way it should be. That's how God is with us. God loves to be in our presence as we are in God's presence. And God wants all the sheep to be in the fold 
but when some are missing, God says, it's not quite right. It doesn't feel right. Because God loves the one lamb. Right? Jesus tells that other parable. What shepherd having a hundred sheep loses one, leaves the 99 and goes search for the one? Shepherds don't do that either. Jesus knows that and his hearers would have known that, but Jesus says, but this is the way God works. That one sheep matters just as much. And so until that one lamb is back in the fold, the shepherd, the good shepherd, until that one lamb is back in the fold, the good shepherd will not say, this feels right. This is the way it should be. So I want to say to you this morning, that God loves each and every one of us the same. And God loves you so much. He loves you even if you would be the only person in the world to love. Grace is an amazing thing. God's grace is extravagant. And there are times when you and I, we, we are the younger, the younger son and we need to be the younger son to receive grace. But let's make sure in everything we do and say and in our witness, let's be sure we never become the church of the older brother. Let us pray. Gracious God, you give us grace upon grace. We are grateful to receive it. Forgive us when we, your people, haven't been as gracious with grace as we should be. We ask that you would shape us and mold us after your will. That we might reflect your extravagant grace to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.